It is my privilege to be invited by your senior pastor and my friend, Dr. Howard Batson, to come by this morning and share the Word of God with you. In his absence, it's always a joy to have the opportunity to be with you here at the First Baptist Church in Amarillo. I bring your greetings from the George W. Truett Theological Seminary at Baylor University, where it's my privilege to serve. This church has invested in that seminary in so many ways, and I bring our thanks for that as well. Have we not been blessed by this worship and sacred song today, as God surely inhabits the praises of his people? This morning, a word about the DNA of spiritual birth. Since 1989, some 300 and 79 innocent people have been freed because of evidence based on DNA. That strange double helix of chemical compounds that marks us so individually, even more than the print out on this extension of our personality. Fascinating thing about that statistic, it's happened in 37 states, the average time of incarceration on the part of the person freed was 14 years. The average age was 42 when the individuals were set free. What is even more curious about that is the remarkable irony that 40 of these people were innocent to begin with. For whatever bizarre reason they had confessed that they were guilty but were set free on the basis of evidence when they'd been innocent all of the time. Most of us have probably seen these commercials on Ancestry.com, these surprised people who thought they were Irish and they'd been wearing kilts or something and now they wear lederhosen <laughs> as they found out they're mostly German. We know something about <laughs> physical DNA. But in the passage that's been read today, there are some stamps of spiritual DNA. Brother Robbie a moment ago mentioned that time when a national religious leader came up to Jesus. I, I can imagine that it was at night, under starlight, by a firelight. You could see the shadows of Jesus and the twelve over against some wall in Jerusalem. When out of the dark, came a religious icon, a national theologian, Nicodemus. He traded some academic compliments with Jesus, calling him great rabbi. Jesus brushed those aside and spoke to Nicodemus as if he'd just come out of a rescue mission. He said, you need to be born from above or born again. The word could mean either one or both, born again from above. Evidently, that stuck with Peter. Decades later, when he wrote this book, in the shout of praise, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in proportion to his great mercy has given us new birth from above into a living hope through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ unto an inheritance. If you'd grant me just a few moments, let's look at these marks, the, the DNA of 
spiritual birth, first of all. When you experience it, it marks you with a lifetime of knowing you've received great mercy. This preposition, according to his mercy, in the language that Peter wrote, represents a word of proportion. New birth is in proportion to his great mercy. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful it's not measured in proportion to what I deserve. It's not in proportion to my opinion of myself or anyone else's opinion of me. It's only proportion is the great mercy of the Father who causes the wind to blow and brings new birth. You remember Jesus told Nicodemus that night, you hear the wind, you don't know where it came from, where it's going. It's mysterious in its origination. It's unknown in its destination. It's invisible in its operation. But there's a reality about the transformation that comes when that spirit blows through your life. And he says, it's not according to what you deserve. You can try to calculate that and be in a sevenfold midnight of despair. It's according to his Great mercy. That word great renders to us the English plutocrat. Plutocrat's not a word used as much as it was a hundred years ago, but it means somebody who has so much money they don't know how to counsel. It's as if he's saying the Warren Buffett of mercy, the Bill Gates of mercy, the Jeff Bezos of mercy. Mercy that when he shows it to one of us, it is not diminished in the least. We bring a thimble, he has a Pacific Ocean. We bring a molehill, he has a Mount Everest of mercy. One of the marks of experiencing birth from above is a recognition that I am the recipient of a richness of mercy. And that word mercy is not the cold, distant mercy that in a patronizing way gives something to you. Did you ever get a gift somebody and they gave it to you something like this? Well, you're just so hard to shop for. I had to, <laughs> I had to go all over town, but here it is. All I want to say is just take it back. <laughs> not that kind of mercy at all. A warm, tender mercy, as Scripture has it. You know, so many people, particularly in secular America, maybe somebody listening to, watching me, has this idea about folks down at church this morning that, that we're all gathered here because Jesus Christ makes bad people good or he helps good people be a little bit better. No. The gospel is a message that makes dead people come to life. A couple of weeks ago, I was uh, preaching at a Bible conference over in Memphis, and the church had put me up at a hotel right by Beale Street where they play the blues down by the Mississippi River. I like the blues okay, but I really do like the collard greens at the City Blues Cafe. <laughs> so three evenings in a row, I went and had a big bowl of colored greens. I think those fall straight out of heaven when they're fixed right. <laughs> Place was jammed. 
I was waiting in line to get a table, and two women in midlife from Seattle came up to me. They saw my convention tag, and they said, oh, you're here for the convention. They were there on some kind of business. And I said, well, I don't think I'm here for the convention you are. I'm here for a Bible conference. I'm a Baptist minister. Strangest thing happened. I hadn't anymore gotten that out of my mouth when one of them said, well, we're just as good as anybody else. I put I, I swallowed some collards and said, well, I, I don't doubt that. And they proceeded to let me know that uh, whatever it was they thought I talked about, they, they didn't need because they were just as good as anybody else. I think that may be the perception of a lot of people of what the gospel's talking about. It's just to be sure that we're all as good as anybody else. What the gospel is about is that I am someone so hopeless that my only hope is to throw myself on the grace and mercy of God according to his great mercy. But that's not all that marks us, <laughs> the new birth. Another mark of it is <laughs> stamps you with somebody who has a living hope. Do you see it? It's right there in the text today. Born from above into a living hope. I think Peter must have liked that word living. Decades before he wrote that, up in that little wedge of the Holy Land between Lebanon and Syria, up in the mountains at Caesarea Philippi, when Jesus said, who do you say that I am? Remember, he said, you're the son of the living God. After Jesus fed the 5,000, they came back and wanted some more, and he offered them a menu they didn't want. Do you remember? Unless you eat the flesh and drink the blood of the son of man, you have nothing. And they all left him. And he looked at the 12 and said, will you also go? And Peter said, no, to whom else shall we go? You alone have the words of life. Even in this letter, chapter 2, he calls Jesus the living stone and you believers living stone. Something about that, that adjective stuck out in Peter. And here he says, when you're born again, you get a living hope. That's important because if your hope is placed in anything or anyone other than him, there's the possibility hope could die before you do. C.S. <laughs> Lewis warned against a false absolute. That is giving to anyone or anything else what belongs to God alone. The only hope that lasts is a hope that's grounded in him. <laughs> you, you know, you can put all of your hope in a relationship. I've met some folks who are relationship junkies. If they can just find the right one, everything will work out okay. And they meet Mr. Right and then find out he's only Mr. Half Right. <laughs> <laughs> you can put all your hope in a credential in a career. You can even put a hope in your own strength and health. And if that is your only hope, it's like casting the anchor on the deck of a ship. It doesn't really hold. Now, you may be one of those folks who's tough, say, I don't need any hope. Life's tough. No, you have to. 
Paul Richter in 1957 did a famous psychology 101 experiment. You might remember it from school days. It's not very appetizing, but he took, <laughs> he took uh, Norwegian rats and dropped them in a beaker or cylinder of water. And he found out they would tread water a while, but then they would sink <laughs> because there wasn't any hope of getting out. But Dr. Richter found when he would rescue them, when they had gone down for the last time with treading water at the bottom, if he could rescue them while they were still alive. And after a while, put those rats back in water. Some of them could tread water up to 24 hours because they recognized there was a way out. Someone called hope the oxygen of the soul. Birth from above, new birth spiritually, marks you with a living hope. But there's another piece of DNA of spiritual birth. It's, it's right here in the text. It says this happens through the resurrection of Jesus Christ out from among the dead. Those who experience new birth are convinced that one time on this planet where everyone is on a march to that gash in the ground called a grave, one time there dividing B.C. from A.D., the Son of God broke the chain of death against the wall of the sepulcher and walked out those eyes closed in death, open, those hands stiff in death, reaching out, those feet stopped in death, walking. One time, death was defeated. That's the whole of the Christian faith. We're not just about doing good things, although we must be doing good things. But the whole of the Christian faith is that that happened one time. Witness of the New Testament is that he appeared at least 11 times over 40 days. He appeared indoors and outdoors to individuals and to groups in Jerusalem and in Galilee. Even appeared to his own half-brother James, who was a brother from the same mother who didn't believe in him, but was turned around when he met his resurrected brother. And that when that happened, it unleashed a power that gives new birth spiritual. Elizabeth Ochtemeyer, the wonderful Presbyterian preacher, made a statement one time preaching in Duke University Chapel. It stuck with me when I heard it. She said, the only religion worth the name is the religion that addresses death. <laughs> Not the secularism that says we die like a dog. The greatly renowned and empathetic cosmologist and physicist Stephen Hawkins died not long ago. But he died as a materialist and a reductionist saying we are nothing but computers and there's no place in this universe for computers to come back to life. And he mocked the Christian faith as those like children who are afraid of the dark. Yes, I, I respect his science, but on the one hand, I respect the testimony 
of 2,000 years of millions of believers who say, I have encountered in the person of Jesus Christ a life, and in union with that life, I have life that cannot be explained any other way. It happens through the resurrection of Jesus Christ out from among the dead. But there's another thing this stamps you with, finally. And it says this new birth gives you a sense of an inheritance. Incorruptible, undefiled, that doesn't fade. It's kept safely in heaven for you while you are kept on the way for that inheritance. Now, 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 don't drag that word down to what inheritance sometimes means on earth. And that is inheritance in the terms of a will about assets somebody leaves or fighting over grandmother's china or anything like that. It's not what lifted up to what it means when it's a symbol, a metaphor for whatever it is where eye cannot see and ear cannot hear. There's a sense in which an inheritance is a legacy of a life lived. It's what is finally left. But in the New Testament, those who've experienced new birth know that there. In some word that can't be described, there's something for which the word inheritance <laughs> is the best word we have down here where we have to use human words in our limited, finite language. You know, so many of life's prizes are fading prizes. <laughs> I hate to admit this, but I somehow in packing up leaving an office one time, packed up my undergraduate diploma. <laughs> there it is. Diploma from Baylor University, May of 1970. I regretted that it was lost. And lo and behold, in going through one of those storage places and opening an old box, I found it the other day. But interesting thing, after all those decades, that piece of paper, even though it was in the dark, had faded. Something about the acid in the paper had eaten it. It's the truth that life's prizes in so many ways are <laughs> fading trophies. That's why Peter says, whatever it is there is incorruptible and undefiled. It can't be destroyed. Nothing in time and space can touch it. <laughs> it's a lot different from other inheritances. I, I've been up here. I, I don't guess I ever told you about the, um, the Gregory oil fortune. Uh, my great aunt Beulah, my paternal grandmother's sister, was the oldest of 12 siblings, a maiden lady. And when she Passed on, she died intestate. She died without a will, so they had to go through all this stuff to find all of her nieces and nephews down the line. And every three months, 
Every three months, I get a check for the Gregory Oil inheritance. It's less than the amount of the stamp on the envelope. <laughs> Wherever those oil wells are up in Jack County, they're not doing very well right now. A disappointment of an inheritance. Whatever this means, it means when we get to the other side, it's not going to be a disappointing inheritance. In fact, 1 John says, when we see him, we'll be made like him because we'll see him as he is. <laughs> you know what that means? That, 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 that means if you could see that believer at the other end of these pews from you, if you could see that person for what they're going to be, you'd be tempted to fall on your knees as if you were seeing a creature to be worshipped. You see, we don't live with mortals. We don't play with mortals. We don't love mortals. We don't laugh and work with mortals. The Word of God reveals that every one here is headed for a destiny so wonderful that if we could see what one another would be, we'd be tempted to fall down and worship. Or we're headed for a destiny so horrible that it can't even be mentioned. But you can rest assured on the authority of the Christian gospel that we are immortals. And those who know him are headed toward an inheritance. Do you know what it's all about? Union and knowing him through the resurrection of Jesus Christ out from <laughs> the dead. Uh, remember when I uh, met my wife's family the first time. Her brother's a, a doctor out in Seattle, and we, we went out there. I didn't know anybody. Uh, they didn't know what to think of me. I sure didn't know what to think about them. Showed up at her brother Jeff's house. <laughs> he opened the door and such a warm greeting. He said, hey, look, Joel, we've kept the best room in the place uh, for you. Just, and I hadn't been there two minutes. I had the best room in the house. So incidentally, here's the refrigerator. Everything in it. We don't, it's full. You come in here anytime 24-7. It's yours. I've been in there five minutes. I had the refrigerator full of food. I said, man, this is great. Don't even know these folks. A few minutes later, I got a study. Look, you need some wheels while you're here. I, I got an old Jeep. You, you keep my car. <laughs> I'd been in there 10 minutes. Had the best room in the house, a refrigerator, and a car to drive around. But see, I wasn't fooled about why that had happened. If I just showed up there as a stranger and knocked on the door, they said, I... I'd like a sandwich. I, they are wonderful Christian people. I'm sure they'd given me something. They probably said, you sit down right over there in the yard. There's one reason that all of that was suddenly mine. It was because of a relationship. <laughs> it was because of who I knew. <laughs> a favorite daughter in that house, his sister that everything in that house was mine in just a few minutes. 
Christian faith is about that. And what marks those who experience life from above is not some set of rules or as my two new friends at the Blue City Cafe said, I'm just as good as anybody else. It's not in that world. It has to do with a living relationship with a risen Savior. Who, when you awake in the morning, even though unseen, is more real than any other. And when sleep overtakes you at night, <laughs> a presence to watch and protect. According to his great mercy, into a living hope through the resurrection and unto an inheritance that will be kept for you. And you will be kept for that inheritance. It happens at a moment just like this. Jesus told Nicodemus who came to him at night, it's like wind blowing. Now ideally that wind blows and you respond to its mystery. But you don't know where it came or whence it goes. So is everyone born of the Spirit. This very morning is an opportunity here for those may be listening beyond here or those sitting here to say, I sense that. Can't define it, can't put my finger on it, but <laughs> it's like the wind blowing opportunity to do that is stand up from where you are in this beautiful sanctuary and make your way down to this altar to say that's happened to me I want to know a risen Lord or it might be that there's someone here or beyond here and you say I used to be on the main line but somehow I've gotten on the sideline He's a Lord who in that sense blows the wind of the Spirit again and again and puts you back together. Or it may be for somebody here that in this great city, you don't have a church home. It's interesting. People come to town, find a school, doctor, dentist, find a drugstore, but you don't have a place where your life is covered by a great biblical Christian ministry. And this is your opportunity to say, I want this place to be my place. The moment we're going to sing a warm hymn of appeal. I know whom I believe. It's number 527 in your hymn books. The ministry is going to be here in this altar to receive you. If this is a moment for you to say, I want to be marked by the DNA of spiritual birth.